from St. Luke's Gospel, and Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Morning, friends. Today we're going to talk about saints. All of them. That wasn't funny at 8 o'clock either, Father Gritter. <laughs> we're not going to talk about all the saints. We'd be here for years to do that. There are so many. Um, we're not going to talk about all the saints in particular, but we are going to talk about one thing, and that is all the saints and what makes them all similar, what makes them saints. Um, so all Saints Day, of course, is November the 1st. The rector can transfer the day if he chooses, and I did choose, so I cha changed it to today. And I want to look at all the saints, but not individually, but as a collective. And what makes them tick? What makes them different from everybody else? Because saints come in all shapes and sizes and colors and genders. And the strange thing is, the saints are all, no matter how they're different, they're all, I don't know, they're all kind of the same in one way. The cool ones, they're all cool ones. The, uh, the smart ones, there are smart ones. And even, even the weird ones. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, St. Augustine, you've heard of him, right? He is one of the fa most famous of all the saints. Before Augustine's or Augustine's conversion, he was literally like a third century Hugh Hefner. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. He's a lot smarter than Hugh Hefner, a lot smarter than Hugh Hefner. Uh, but he was actually, he, he was kind of the guy that was sort of chasing pleasure and meaning in life. And he was sitting on his back garden at one point with a friend of his. And he heard what he described as a child, but he couldn't tell if it was a boy or a girl. And he heard this voice, which he took as a voice from the Lord, that said, take and read, take and read. And he said, okay. And he picked up, there's a Bible lay, re, laying there, and he picked up scripture, this third century Hugh Hefner, Augustine, he picked up scripture and found the first thing where his eyes landed on, which was Romans chapter 13, verse 13, which says this. Take and read, Augustine, and he opened the scriptures, and this is what it said, Romans 13. Let us walk properly, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. If you know Augustine, this one hit, hit home. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And he closed the book and said, the Lord has spoken to me. It changed him. I mean, dramatically changed him. So I would put Augustine, if, you were, if, I have, if I had to put him on a scorecard, I'd put Augustine in the cool category. And then I also look at Saul of Tarsus, who becomes St. Paul later. I would put small, uh, Saul of Tarsus in the smart category. Now, granted, Saul of Tarsus was a terrorist and a persecutor of the church. And if you read the account of the first uh, um, martyr in, in Scripture, Stephen by name, Saul is right there telling him to kill this first martyr, Stephen. But then Saul is driving on the road to Damascus, and he hears the voice of the Lord saying to him, Paul, Saul, his first name, why are you persecuting me? And Saul was converted. It changed him radically, not overnight, took time, but the, the seed had been planted. So I'd, I would put, I'd put Saul in the smart category, 
But there's also a third category, and there's lots, but the third, three I want to talk about today is the weird ones. There's some real doozies out there. I'll give you one example. One of my favorites, St. Simeon the Stylite. Anybody here ever heard of St. Simeon the Stylite? Probably not. St. Simeon the Stylite was a Syrian ascetic, meaning he ate vegetables and wore very, very uh, severe clothing. St. Simeon, his claim to fame was St. Simeon climbed a pole and sat on, sat on a ledge, perched on a small ledge atop a pole outside of Aleppo, Syria, for 37 years. That's what he did. And people would come to him and ask St. Simeon for advice, and he would give them advice, and maybe, you know, you do you and I'll do me, but to me, that's just kind of weird, right? The point I want you to see here is that all the saints, man, there are such a diversity of, of men and women, of rich and poor, of all sorts of different types of people, smart ones, cool ones, and weirdos. But what makes them all the same, here's the point for today, what makes all the saints the same, listen, is that they live in this world with one foot in the world and one foot in the world to come. I'll say that again. What makes them all, what every saint has, if you look at history, a saint lives with one foot in the world and one foot in the world to come. You might say, Saints live in the now with a future focus. Let me tell you what's going on today with the Beatitudes. Jesus, as you know, I just read a minute ago, comes down a mountain to teach his disciples. Now, if you know your scripture, you know that coming down a mountain kind of brings up that Moses image, right? It's intentional. Jesus is coming down the mountain to give his disciples a new message. The Beatitudes, let me say this right up front. The Beatitudes, the blessings and the woes that I'm going to get to, they are directed towards Christians. This is not a worldview for the culture at large. Jesus says he comes off the mountain like Moses to teach a new law to his disciples. So the point I'm trying to make here is those who are giving the blessed and those who are getting the woes are you and me, Christians. Let me show you this. Open up your text real quick. I want to show you something cool. Open up to the gospel if you would whatever page that is, in your handout. The Beatitudes in Luke chapter 6. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you how to read these Beatitudes. Look at, look at the Beatitudes. You have four blessed statements. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who hunger. And then you have four woe statements. Now let me show you something here. How you read these, these are structured very deliberately, which is, in, which is the key to the text. Let me show you this. Uh, look at verse 20. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples, that's you, and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Skip down to verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Let's do it again. Verse 21. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you shall be satisfied. Verse 25. Woe to you who are full now, or you shall be hungry. You see a pattern developing here? That's the point. This is called, we can leave it there, but if you go through all of them, they match. The first one, the fourth one, the second, the fifth, the third, and the sixth, they match up. And that's an incredibly important point because that is called, in Jewish literature, it is called, don't worry about remembering this, but it's called a chiasm. And it's incredibly important. If you don't understand that, 
to the Beatitudes, they will make no sense to you at all. And I'll show you that. A chiasm is a structure. It's a structure. This, 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 this. That's what he's doing. And the reason that's important is because what Jesus is doing is not giving us an us versus them. He is showing us how to live wisely. Jewish thought uses a chiastic structure in wisdom literature. What does that mean? It means what wisdom means is how do you learn to live? How do you learn to make decisions? How do you live with one foot in the world and one foot out of it? That's the question he's answering. How do you live like a saint? Here's the thing I'm driving at, and I'm going to dive into this in a minute. What Jesus is laying out here is not some sort of political or cultural agenda. He's not laying out the poor are the poor are great and the rich are bad. No, no. I've heard that preached a lot of times. It's not true. He's laying out wisdom literature. This, 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 to compare and contrast the hearts of his followers. It's you. Let me show you. Let's look at the blessed for a minute. That word for blessed, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who hunger. That word for blessed. Stay with me. That word for blessed is the Greek word makarios, which means happy or joyful or woo, living in the moment, living the dream. But I want you to see something here which is radically important, that what he says here is completely and utterly countercultural. Let me show you. Jesus singles out those who are destitute and the starving. The suffering and those who are hated by other men, the starving, the suffering, those who are hated, he says, you're happy. Now let's just stop there for a second and realize something. Maybe this is just me, I'll admit. But no one has ever said to me in my entire life, you know what, Father, I haven't eaten in a week. I can't feed my kids. And man, I couldn't be happier about it. Anybody here ever said that? Raise your hand. Anybody here ever said, you know, my money is tight. I can't pay my credit card bills. Mortgage is on the hook. I'm worried. I'm scared. My wife and I, we're, we, don't, we can't make ends meet. But man, God is just smiling on me. You. Anybody ever done that? I never have either. What I want you to see here, what I want you to understand here, is if you said, if you stop and think about what he's saying, you should say to yourself, I hope, you know, the world doesn't work that way, Jesus. The world doesn't work that way. I'm not happy when I'm hungry. I'm not joyful when I'm suffering. I'm certainly not over the moon when people make fun of me and berate me. That's not the way the world works, Jesus. That is precisely his point. Most people read the Beatitudes the exact wrong way. Most people read the Beatitudes with a lens of sentimentality and hallmarky feel-goodism. Someday we're going to eradicate poverty and disease. Someday we'll feed the hungry. Someday the thirsty will be satisfied. That is the great lie of our culture. It is the great lie of all of human history that we on our own can fix this. And if you think about it for a moment, and I hope you think that's the Christian's job, it's stupid and naive to th if you think about it, given the nature of human fallenness. I mean, for example, we cannot even provide health care for our veterans, and yet we're going to eradicate poverty? Yeah, sure. 
Let's pass the Green New Deal while we're at it, too. I mean, come on. The point I want you to see here is this. Jesus is, a, Jesus is not speaking something which is culturally, it's, it's countercultural. And his, his statements are not addressed only to the future, but to now. Let me show you. Look at verses 3. Uh, look at here. Uh, 3 and number 10. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are persecuted. You know, and I want you to notice something here which is just radically cool. <laughs> that Jesus is clear, listen, about the reality of suffering. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are persecuted. I was talking to somebody just last week who was in the middle of a, uh, a group therapy session for some relational issues. It's kind of an informal thing. And the person who was leading the group therapy session uh, was a Hindu, had some kind of Hindu thing they were doing, I don't know. But what this person said was, as you go around the room, I want you to think about the suffering in your life, and I want you just to pretend it's not real. I want, you to, I want you to think of all the things wrong in your life right now, all the sufferings and the hurts that you have. I want you to think of all that, and I want you just to put that all away. And the person I was talking to, who's a Christian, said, uh, raised their hand and said, um, excuse me, <laughs> yes, um, wouldn't it make more sense just to kind of acknowledge the reality of our suffering? Call a spade a spade and come to terms with the fact that the world is sometimes not very good. The leader was stunned, of course, didn't fit within the program. But slowly around the room, people start saying, you know what, I think, I think they're onto something. Why don't we, instead of trying to dodge the bullet, why don't we take this head on? We can't deal with suffering unless we acknowledge that it's real. And that's exactly my point. A crucial point of the Beatitudes and the Christian view of the world is this, that life is hard, man. Suffering is evil, that people die. And no amount of self-soothing, no emotional support animal therapy is going to change that. Jesus Christ is a radical realist. And as Christians, you and I, friends, are called to radical realism. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who suffer. The implication is that those things are all real. Evil's real. But it's not the end. This is the point I'm trying, that Jesus is making in these blessings and these woes. The point is that for the Christian, suffering is never permanent. Poverty is temporary. Grief is a, is a fleeting thing. Why? It's not wishful thinking. It's because Christians have Something called hope. Again, a radically misunderstood word. What does that mean briefly? The book, Letter to the Hebrews, says that hope is the assurance of things not seen. Listen to that again. That we are called, we can, we can endure suffering and persecution and poverty and still be joyful because we have hope. And hope is the assurance of things not seen. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is, in fact, it's polar opposite. Hope is real about the sufferings of our present time, that life is hard, that people get sick and die, but the Beatitudes remind us that while evil is real, saints, that's us, are focused on the end game. So let me, let me, let me just turn it around. This is about you, by the way, and me as Christians. Where are you struggling in your life right now? Everybody's got something, man. It could be family or health or relationships or money. Do yourself a favor. Be honest. Be real. Don't stuff it. 
Don't ignore it. Don't pretend it's not there. For God's sake, acknowledge the reality of suffering. Jesus does. But remember the end game. That for the Christian, suffering is temporary. That for the Christian, hope is real. These four blessed statements, blessed are the poor, they, they acknowledge the reality of suffering and then show us the way of hope. They point us to the future, but so do the woes. Let me show you this. Uh, the four blessed statements, joyful, happy are they, who are, are followed by four woes. The Greek word for woe is the Greek word ouai. I've never used the word woe in a sentence. Anybody here? Woe to you, Father Gritter. What does that even mean? Well, let me show you this. Again, if the blesseds are always taking us out of the present and pointing us to the future, so do the woes. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. That word woe, ouai, is not a condemnation. Listen, it's a warning. In other words, if you're wealthy, and it might be money or anything, anything you have, if you're wealthy, Jesus said, be warned, be on guard. For God's sake, be careful. Because if you're like me, and you are, you are, the things of this world can so distract us from real joy and real human flourishing. You ever meet somebody who had it all? Or at least seemed to? And like, at least they like to tell everybody they do. Were they happy? Were they joyful? Were they makarious? The answer is no. No, unless they have Jesus. And the woe is what Jesus is saying. He's not condemning. Again, the blesseds are not some sort of, ne- some sort of uh, wishful thinking. Instead, the woe is what Jesus is just talking common sense, man. That if life is all you strive for, then this life is all you're going to get. He says, be on guard. Be warned. Be frosty. The things of this world are transient. He's speaking to Christians. So here's a question for you. If you want to use the Beatitudes as a diagnostic for your a diagnostic for your own heart, and I hope you will. What are some of the things that you need to be warned about? And there could be many. What are the th- and, and the question is this, what are the things that distract you from the Lord's blessing upon your life? What are the things that distract you from Him? It could be anything. It could be money, it could be family, it could be relationships, it could be being spoken well by other people, one of the things that Jesus lists here. What he's saying is, look, man, just think, be careful, be aware, examine your heart. See, friends, the saints, right? We're talking about all the saints today. We're talking about you and me. The saints, the cool ones, the smart ones, even the weirdos. What makes them all the same is that they live life with the end game in mind. They live life knowing that this life is not the end. They live life knowing that suffering in this world is not the end, but neither is the, the blessings of this life the end. They have joy because they know that the things of this life are transient. And so they hold the things of this life loosely. So here's a question. It's a real one. Do you want to be a saint? You're called to it. If so, I want you to go through and I want you to read the blesseds and the woes again. Read them again and ask yourself, it's time for a gut check, man. Do I need to make a change? Do I love the world too much? Yes. And if so, how? How do what the things of this world cause me to neglect my life with God? But then also look at the blessings that Jesus gives us. 
Is that the life that you want? It is. Happy, joyful, rejoicing, not because of a lack of suffering, but even in the midst of it. Is that the life that you want, saints? And the answer is, yes, it is. Well, the blessings and the warnings, the Beatitudes, they are, quite frankly, God's blueprint for a life of flourishing, for a life of joy, for the life of all the saints, then and now, them and you. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the Beatitudes. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus' words of wisdom to us, how to live rightly. His words of encouragement and his words of warning. Help us, Lord, to heed his words. Give us hearts that truly seek after you. And give us the courage to suffer knowing the end game and the courage to make changes we need to make to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.